You're listening to the Boots About Business podcast. We share stories from military veterans that have transitioned to the world of business. On the show, you'll hear conversations with business leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs that all started their careers wearing boots in the service of the U.S. Armed Forces. This podcast is equal parts about sharing great stories, helping veterans, helping businesses, and fostering a greater understanding of the value veterans can bring to business. And welcome, everybody, to episode number 16 of the Boots About Business podcast. I am your host, Frank Strong. Here with us today is Todd Connor. Todd is a Navy veteran that has done some really interesting things. He's worked for big companies like Booz Allen. He's run his own consulting firm. He's even run for elected office. But two of the things that he's done that we're going to talk about on the show today is, number one, he founded an organization called Bunker Labs. That is an incubator for veteran entrepreneurs. And two, he is a published author, right? Legit published. Wiley Books, and the book is called Third Shift Entrepreneur, Keep Your Day Job, Build Your Dream Job. Todd, welcome to the show, sir. Thanks, Frank. Good to be with you. Ah, good to have you on. And so we always get right down to business. The common denominator on the show is the service. What inspired you to join the Navy? Yeah, so I joined the Navy as a freshman in college uh, at Northwestern University, signed up for the ROTC program. And I think a lot of the reason I joined the military is a lot of the same reasons and instincts I've had around wanting to start things as a entrepreneur. And I think this is true for a lot of the military community. There's some part of that decision, which is maybe some bravado, some willingness to take on a risk, but also a desire more than anything, I think, to, to test your full potential and, and to do things that are you know in service of others. And I think a good business, a good entrepreneur does things that are in service of others. I think, obviously... Strong service in uniform is service to others, and so yeah, I you know I I don't come from a military family. I didn't really have much context, but I saw the opportunity to do something that felt bigger than myself in connection to serving this country. And it was a very small percentage of people at, at my university that were participating. I think we only had something like fourteen midshipmen my freshman year, and most of whom have gone on to do great things. And so I just saw it as something that was different, something that was interesting, something that was of service. And, you know, the rest, as they say, is history, but uh, signed up that fall semester of my freshman year, came on scholarship soon thereafter, and then had the privilege of serving on active duty from 2000 to 2004, was stationed on board the USS Bunker Hill out of uh, San Diego, got a missile cruiser, did an extended deployment after 9-11 to the Persian Gulf, as uh, you know, a number of folks that I'm sure are listening to this podcast can appreciate, you know, the, the world really changed after 9-11, and I was part of that picture before and after and what it looked like for all of us was different. But for me in the Navy, it um, kind of tied up any port visits and, and put us on an extended deployment over to the Persian Gulf. So that's a little bit of snapshot of, of yeah, my time in service. Yeah, service above self. I think the uh, the last few months in the pandemic has gotten a lot of people thinking about purpose. That's, that's a good one. What was your worst day in uniform? Huh. <laughs> my worst day in uniform. Gosh, I was uh, the MWRR officer and was in charge of that, which, you know, for folks that serve will know that it's morale, welfare and recreation. So you're, you're in charge of doing things for the ship that are fun. The captain and everyone else expects you to be funny, but you've got that fine line of learning to be funny, but not crossing any boundaries. And I planned our mess night. I was a butter bar, you know, 01 ensign and had this magician come in and, and he sort of was funny and not funny. And basically... The event was sort of not as good as it was supposed to be. And I suffered all the blame for that. And so that was a painful day, which is fine. We also brushed up against the buoy in San Diego Harbor. And as navigator, <laughs> that's not 
looks favorably upon. <laughs> so, so what does that mean for people that aren't in the Navy when you brush up against a buoy? Yeah, Navy ships aren't supposed to touch anything. <laughs> it's just a, a general rule of thumb. Is, and when you're the navigator, you really don't want to be touching anything. So, so, you know, hey, these things happen. You know, you're driving in and out of port. It's a busy port, a lot of activity, a lot of buoys. But no, I, I had, um, you know, as you look back on it, I think, you know, the joke in the military is, you know, you spend four years doing it and then you spend the rest of your life talking about the four years. And I think there's some truth to that of not a week went by that I, I didn't catalog some story that to this day gives me a lot of uh, sentimental value or a lot of, you know, kind of like head shaking humor at some of the things that you do when you're young. And but yeah, all, all in spirit of appreciation for, you know, an amazing four years. That's awesome. So conversely, the opposite question is, what was your best day in uniform? Man, there's a lot of good days in uniform. I'll say this, this is a little bit philosophical, but I think, you know, kind of back to my prior comment, there are so many seemingly painful days in uniform. But when you look back on retrospect, you just do, at least for me, I adopt this sort of really positive disposition towards all the days, because even on the hard days, you have this appreciation for, well, actually, you don't have an appreciation for something that you later appreciate, which is you're at least getting up doing work that matters with people that you care about, you know, and that that is the base case for time and service for so many of us, that you are part of something larger than yourself, that you are doing it alongside people with whom, maybe not everyone, but for whom, you know, for the most part, people with whom you have this real appreciation and the diversity of characters and the diversity of lived experience and the vulnerability that comes with being with people that are different from you, I think it's such a treasured gift. And so, you know, in the military, the, the microaggressions, I think, are kind of outsized, right? Like the, the paperwork and the nonsense. And there is a ton of nonsense. And, you know, mm-hmm. hey, paint this wall gray. Hey, you know, actually paint it white, you know, actually paint it gray again. You know, like just yeah. there is stupidity abundant in the military. And, and you and I can tell those stories. But the ethos of service, the ethos of, you know, being alongside people that you care about makes it really a special thing. And I think it's it's only when you get out of the military that you realize how absent those underlying conditions can be in sort of civilian life. Mm-hmm. Just that that even the best day, even the worst days in the military, like the aggravations were sort of micro in nature. You aren't suffering the sort of existential crisis or question, which is like, does my life matter? You know, does what I'm doing matter? You know, even if you're the bosun mate who's painting that wall gray for the third time in two months, that that may not have had meaning in the moment, but that there's, you're part of something larger. There's something larger at play that matters. And even if the meaning isn't immediately clear, you know, sort of at your core that there is something larger at play. So I think that's the blessing of being in service. It's those days, you know, and then obviously in the moment at the time, the best day was coming back after a nine month deployment and stepping foot back home in San Diego, which by the way, is a great place to to step foot in no matter where you live. Yeah, (laughs) That's just, you know, showing up after a Chicago winter, it's great to be in San Diego, but coming back there after a nine month deployment where we only had one port visit, it is as if you, and you know this, Frank, from your own deployments and other people that have been on deployment. And by the way, being in the Navy is a different kind of deployment than being in the Army or being on the ground. You know, being in the Navy is hard, not because you, you sort of face 
sort of the immediate threat of violence, but what you are facing is the mundane. This idea that like literally I've been in this floating dorm for, you know, nine months and, you know, I haven't, I don't see daylight for three days at a time. And, you know, and it's, just, it's the monotony that is frankly, I think what you're battling most times. So to come back to San Diego, you see it all with fresh eyes. You're looking around, you're like, oh my gosh, these are civilians and people and dogs. I kept noticing the dogs and the babies because you don't see any of that at sea. And I kept noticing sort of civilian attire and restaurants. And you just, I really rode that cloud, that sort of post-deployment cloud for, I think, two years. And just this appreciation of all the richness and abundance that we have in, you know, civilian America. Yeah, coming home from a nine-month deployment at sea sounds like a pretty good day to me. And I've got to laugh, if the Navy's got you painting walls different colors, the Army's like, you know, take these sandbags and move them over here. Oh, no, 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 move them back. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> same, yeah. same thing, different service. But you miss yeah. the people. You don't miss the bureaucracy. You think we can all appreciate that. What did the service teach you? What does the service teach you that's been applicable in your business career? Yeah, oh man, a lot. You know, the military teaches you, first of all, just good management ethos. Management basics, you know, and, and then not leadership. I want to be clear. Yeah, we'll talk about leadership. That's a different consideration. But management Management to me is how to organize and manage a team and a set of tasks to get things done. Mm-hmm. And if you're in the military, you have an appreciation for getting big things done, which is like getting a ship deployed as part of a battle group, as part of a, a fleet strategy, right? So there's like this kind of laddering up towards national strategy and how that ladders down into you know, uniform inspections and personal qualification standards. So you really get to observe, here is how individual tasks, unit kind of responsibilities, like ladder up into national, you know, strategic priorities. And just the expectation in the military, yes, there's a chain of command, but it is all about the discipline of everyone's contribution to that, right? So I think the thing that shocks me in in the civilian sector is how Senior leaders can, in some cases, do things like just not reply to emails or, you yeah. know, be late or not show up or the work product can be poor or there can be bad personal behavior that's tolerated. You know, it's just like, you know, you just take these things for granted in the military. They're like, you just can't act like that. Right. You know, and I think when you come out and you step into the civilian sector and you agree to I'm going to be professional, I'm going to show up on time, I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do, I'm going to hold myself accountable I'm going to be polite like that. That actually turns out to be a pretty potent asset that is not assumed to just be available widely. So I think the management instincts have stayed with me. You know, even things like you come into a team environment and people start thinking about what they want to do to move some project forward. Right. I think when you're in the military, you kind of have this spidey sense of, all right, well, actually, we need to have weekly meetings. They ought to be an hour I'll be in charge of the meeting. Let's all commit to what we're going to do the next week, come back together and report out on what we got done. You know, just that that kind of that management infrastructure, I think, has become sort of intrinsic when you're in the military, you know, being in front of your people, morning quarters, you know, just this kind of instinct of like a battle rhythm that you got to create to move a project forward. Mm -hmm. It's something that I think in the civilian sector, unless people have been exposed to that kind of environment, you don't have that overlay. So I think management and the basics of running a good team are hugely valuable when you get into the civilian sector and and particularly when you want to start a business. Yeah. You know, I think all of that ethos, being an entrepreneur is not about brilliant ideas. 
It is not. It is about execution. It's about consistency. It's about being a good leader if you have a team. It's about being a good manager if you have a team. You know, and it's really about solving a problem, which is about sort of getting close to your customers, having empathy, listening more than you talk, and like building the answer. You know, so I think those things are learned in spades in the military and have a lot of applicability for what you do as a civilian and in particular as an entrepreneur. I couldn't agree with you more. And those things that you described, they're really hard to translate onto a resume or to convey unless you sit down and have a conversation like you and I are having now. How do you articulate that to somebody that hasn't been in the service? It's a real challenge, I think, for, for veterans. Right. But they have these skills. We know they, that they do. It is a challenge. And I think this is part of why military veterans hire other military veterans, like 30% more. Yeah. Because expecting a, a leader who doesn't have that mental model to then see that it matters and then see it in you, that's hard, right? Because if they don't have an understanding that this is actually an asset or, you know, that kind of management ethos that is important, then it's not surprising that they wouldn't sort of in turn recognize that in other people. I think this is why entrepreneurship is appealing to military veterans. Mm -hmm. Because if you are operating in the civilian sector or even in the military for that matter, and you feel like, man, I could do this better, not with a sense of ego, but with a sense of, excellence, you know, that like, wow, there is a better way to do this. And if I can just get out there, it's a willingness to say, I will compete with myself. Mm -hmm. And that's what entrepreneurship allows. It removes the upper bound of your potential. Yeah, it removes the floor as well, right? Like both get stripped out from you. But for those people that say, you know, I'm in the civilian sector and I have a job and I'm financially, you know, maybe okay. And my floor has been established, which is a good thing, sort of an insurance policy on life. But my ceiling has also been established mm -hmm. and I'm uncomfortable with the ceiling because I want the ceiling to go higher. I want to go faster. I want to go sooner. And that's not surprising. I mean, why would you know an 18 year old take the oath and be willing to go in harm's way and do the things that they do in service of the country as a you know United States Marine or as a United States Airman? Why would they suddenly want to sort of hear a message of settling for less? If you look at the marketing campaigns that we spend a lot of money on as a country, to attract talent, uh, to join the armed services, you know, that same ethos, you know, army of one, right? Soldier of one, the few, the proud of the Marines, right? Like, yeah. aim high, fly, fight, win. You know, this is the kind of language and the ethos that, that attracts this sort of cadre of individuals as 18 year olds, as young Americans that say, yeah, I like that message. That's who I want to be. You know, on the flip side of that, they can land in jobs where it's like, well, don't think about what you can do until you've been here for three or four or five years, you know, slow down, mm -hmm. stay in your lanes, you know, can be the message. And so for people that find that dissatisfying, I think entrepreneurship becomes a really attractive pursuit. Yeah, I can agree. That's a, that's a good segue too into Bunker Labs, which is what I really want to talk to you about. You, you did a lot of different things in between the Navy, but uh, Bunker Labs is, is one of the highlights that I've seen what is it? Why did you start it? Yeah, Bunker Labs is a uh, national nonprofit organization that helps military veterans, as well as military spouses, as well as active duty service members start businesses. We started it about seven years ago and really on the premise of, you know, not with the intent to build a national nonprofit organization, but with the, you know, the origin intent was let's help entrepreneurs in Chicago who have served start businesses if they mm -hmm. want to, you know, and I, we partnered with an organization called 1871, which is an incubator in Chicago and partnered with some other organizations. And, 
came out with an announcement around Veterans Day and said, hey, if you want to start a business, reach out. We're going to help these folks start businesses. And it's something that you know I don't consider myself, or certainly didn't then, an expert in entrepreneurship. But I had started businesses myself and thought, man, if I can be helpful, I, yeah. that's what I would be happy to do. We got a strong influx of interest. We had about 60 people reach out, many of whom wanted to start businesses, some of whom were already small business owners. And, and that was the kind of spark that said, okay, there's a, there's a market here for people wanting this kind of thing in Chicago. You know? And that's part of what you do when you are an entrepreneur is you kind of operate with this portfolio instinct of running what I call experiments you know, in the marketplace just to see, you know, hey, is, I think that I would love to help. I'm not sure if people need the help or are interested or think that my help is the right help. But that's what you find out when you kind of put yourself forward and announce things like that. So that was seven years ago and the organization has scaled. There was a demand. There turned out to be a demand in a lot of different cities. And we grew through a chapter model and have you know, today about 35 chapters in cities across the country, including Atlanta and near where you're at, Frank. And, mm-hmm. and our goal is to be in all 50 states with ambassadors and programming. And you know, 25% of military veterans want to start businesses. And about four to five percent of transitioning service members, you know, post 9-11 have done that. Hopefully more of them will. And that's what we're in the fight to to make happen, you know, and and how you help people start businesses is a longer conversation. We've got a whole set of programming. You can go to bunkerlabs.org to learn more. But, you know, to me, it requires frameworks for how to think about starting a business. And it requires a community of people that can help you get there. And, you know, if there's one challenge for the military community, it's not talent, it's not ideas, it's not work ethic, it's that they don't have the right networks of people that have started businesses. And you really need networks of people close to the kind of business that you're wanting to start to help you be successful. And so that's, you know, a big focus of what we're trying to do. Yeah. So what can a veteran expect? Someone sees your announcement or they're in Atlanta or Chicago, they knock on the door of one of these chapters and they're accepted. What, to, what happens? What can they expect? Can you give us some examples? Yeah. Well, so there's sort of a pre-COVID and post-COVID answer. I'll give you the pre-COVID answer, which is your first point of interaction would be come to an event. Mm-hmm. And what you would feel at that event is a sense of really interesting and ambitious and hopefully warm and welcoming and kind people who are military connected, but talking about innovation and entrepreneurship. And that's just sort of a a key thing for us is like, yeah, we are here to support the military community. But if all we're doing is getting together and telling sea stories, we're missing the point. Yeah. And so it's, you know, you and I would get together, Frank, and we, you know, you know, might have a beer, might have a cup of coffee and talk about, hey, what it is that you're doing, what it is that I'm doing, ways in which we could help each other. And so, you know, we hosted about 12,000 people in person in 2019 it was just stitching together and making a little closer that national network of people that is out there. But unless we convene them, they don't have a way to add value to each other. I sometimes say to people, you know, the military, American military community is the strongest alumni uh, network in this country. The problem is we don't have an alumni association for that network. You know, we don't have like our universities pull us back or, you know, other, you know, associations that we're a member of pull us back. I mean, you got things like the American Legion, the VFW, which are great organizations that have served, you know, kind of um, historically that network. But what what Bunker Labs is trying to be is really just that convening authority for the military community that is interested in entrepreneurship to say, okay, 
here's the place to show up. And if it's the people that show up that add the value, it's not just, it's not Bunker Labs, it's the people that add the value. You know, it's, if you go to an event and there's a hundred people there who have some connection to the military and who are bankers and lawyers and marketing professionals and podcasters and people that have, you know, networks and connections, then there's a lot of value that can be created through that synergy. So we try to create that synergy and that opportunity through in-person networking. We create it through our online Facebook community that has about 3,000 active members. We create it through our programs, including a program in partnership with WeWork called the Veterans and Residents Program. It's a six-month incubator. You get free space and membership at WeWork for six months, which is a, about a $3,000 value, if not more. And it's a small cohort of 10 entrepreneurs who are af- getting after it. You know, 60% mm-hmm. of the companies that go into that program, we have about 280 in that program right now nationally. 60% of them generate their first revenue over the course of those six months. Mm-hmm. So it is really about helping people get that first dollar that turn that idea into an invoice. And then we've got other programs like CEO Circle, which are a little bit more advanced. It's a mastermind format for small business owners mm-hmm. that are military connected. And we get together on a monthly basis for a three hour kind of intensive mastermind group, which either happens in person or, you know, now most of the stuff's all happening virtually. So Network is the crux of what we do. And then we also have some online introductory programming to help you figure out, you know, this is Launch Lab Online, help you figure out, is entrepreneurship right for me? And do I have an idea worth pursuing? So to me, those are the first two questions you got to ask yourself. And we have an online program to help you kind of work through that in a formatted way. Mm-hmm. So they, for a veteran to get involved, they got to go to an event or the, and, and you, you've got a common denominator. You've got something in common with everybody already there because you're all veterans. Are these events, are they networking events? Are they seminars? Is it a panel discussion? What is the event? Yeah, it'll be a variety of formats. I mean, networking is always part of it. We have some, we'll bring in, you know, the answer is yes, all of the above. I mean, we'll we'll do things like if you look at this week's calendar, we're doing things on how to buy, own a, a minor league sports franchise. We're doing things on how to create free content. We've got you know, events that are purely driven around networking. We've got, you know, demographically focused networking events for, you know, black entrepreneurs and LGBTQ entrepreneurs that are connected to the military community. So, so it's kind of all of the above, you know, most of our cities will do between six and 12 events a year. And so they will, within those six and 12 events, program things that are relevant. You know, if you go to the Mm -hmm. Denver chapter, they're probably going to have you know, more conversations about cannabis and things happening in the cannabis space because that's relative, you know, or relevant to that that geography. You know, in New York, it tends to be more, you know, conversations around fintech. So, you know, some of it will have a demographic focus, some of it will, or or a geographic focus rather, some of it will be uh, strictly driven around networking and kind of all the above. You know, I would love it, you know, and and this is how we think about it. We don't want to be, you know, we're a community first and foremost. So it's almost like thinking about the Chamber of Commerce. You know, you got to go get engaged. You can't just show up and say, well, here's, you know, I'm just here to get something. We want you to be active in in giving and getting because we think that that's how the world works. And the worst thing we could do would be to train a behavior if you want to become an entrepreneur, which is to sit and just, you know, have you sort of be in in like a passive receive mode. We really think that entrepreneurship's got to be an active engagement, right? You got to be proactive. And so we try to engage our community and telling us, hey, what is it that you want? And then, hey, by the way, go build that event. You know, if you came to us and said, hey, I think in Atlanta, we ought to have more of a conversation about, you know, how to build a successful podcast. I'd say, great, Frank, why don't you go out and find three other people and organize the panel and you be the moderator for the next networking event and bring Mm -hmm. those people on the panel. You know, that's kind of how we think about it is 
let's be the platform for the community to show up and help deliver some of the programming that it thinks is you know valuable. Mm-hmm. And then for some of the more structured programs, like the uh, the partnership with WeWork, do you, you know how do how do veterans get involved in that? Do they need to have a business already? Can they just have an idea in their head that they want to try to work on? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, we have an application process. We actually just closed the application for the second half of this year. So there's an application process twice a year. If you just go to bunkerlabs.org and sign up for the newsletter, you'll get the notification as to when the applications are open and closed. We're looking in that program because it is selective. It's one of the only programs that we have that is selective because there's capacity constraints, right? We have about 10 people per city. We're looking for people that are serious at pursuing their business. And we're looking for people that have, I think, an attitudinal disposition that has them in a spirit of willingness to do the work and also willingness to help others in the journey. That's really the formula for success. It's not necessarily that we're looking for how much money are you generating through your business? You know, how brilliant is the idea? It's, not, it's definitely not a screen for that. It is a screen for, are you serious and committed to this idea that you've got? And are you willing to sort of be in a community? Because part of how we unlock your own potential as an entrepreneur is we have you give and get feedback from the people that you're with. You know, so someone who's like, a total hothead and doesn't want to hear it or or doesn't refuse or refuses to sort of show up or can't show up because of the commitments that they've got, you know, that's not going to work because we want to be in a community where 10 people are really in it together, sleeves rolled up, willing to help each other and also willing to give each other feedback and get and get the feedback as well, right? And that's a hard thing to do. Sometimes it's really done in a, in a structured spirit. But our, our thinking is, look, it's not that, you know, our city leaders are necessarily or Todd Connor, you know, is smarter than you are at your business, what we really need to do is create an environment in which we can help each other see things that we wouldn't otherwise see. So it's really powerful if you are an entrepreneur and you say to a group of four people, right, who you have some foundational trust with, here's how I'm thinking about approaching my go-to-market strategy. This is my plan, but what am I not seeing? Mm -hmm. And then you get the privilege of sitting and taking notes while those four people kind of push you or offer additional ideas or here's three creative things that I've done that might work for you. You know, there's a real chemistry and a real opportunity that gets unlocked when you create that kind of an environment. So you can call that peer coaching or peer led ideation, but that's a lot of the format that we work with. So you've got to be the kind of person who's good in that format, which I think, you know, if you shut down the feedback, it's going to be hard for you to be a successful entrepreneur anyway, right? So that's also a pre-screen for, I think, who can be successful as an entrepreneur. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. So we're getting towards the end here. A couple, just a couple quick questions. One, Bunker Labs is, how is that funded? It's a nonprofit organization. About 70% of our funding comes from corporate partnerships. Okay. It's a registered 501c3. Yep. Registered 501c3 and registered in all 50 states as well. And, um, you know, guide star ratings and all that stuff. And we have, you know, believe in transparency about how we operate as an organization. And We've got about 28 employees. We have about 140 volunteer uh, city leaders and ambassadors. Some of our large partners are companies like USAA, JPMorgan Chase, Comcast, Blackstone, you know, organizations like that. And then we get some foundations that support our work as well. Yeah. All right. That sounds good. So last question, I want to incorporate the book that you have coming out about being a third shift entrepreneur. I think it's a really interesting concept. So for a veteran that's thinking about starting a business, maybe lacks the experience, what advice would you offer? You don't have to quit your job to start a business. 
And that's the big premise of this book. I feel like there's a lot of books about entrepreneurship, but many of them center around concepts that are specific to Silicon Valley and have as a, as a pretense the idea that you need to build a scalable business, right? So most people, particularly coming out of the military community, are not going to build the kinds of businesses that need to go to Silicon Valley, that need to raise venture capital dollars. That's a very specific sliver of a type of business that's scalable. And by the way, those are great. those can be really interesting businesses. Those are great businesses. You can make a lot of money with that kind of a business. But what most Americans are, are going to start are things that don't fit that profile. It's restaurants, it's food trucks, it's podcasting, it's boutique marketing agencies. It's, it's becoming, you know, a wedding planner. It's opening up a boutique motel. It's, um, it, you know, it's, uh, it's going from being a lawyer for a large firm to opening up your own law practice. It's, you know, the vast majority of businesses in this country are small businesses. Mm -hmm. The vast majority are small businesses that don't sort of fit that definition of technology and scalable. And so, so we wanted to, I wanted to open up the conversation to say, look, you can build those kinds of businesses and there's a different kind of playbook for how to do that. And so Third Shift Entrepreneur is the, is a book, but it's also a canvas and it's also a set of stories that helps people understand how to do this. And when you talk to people like you, Frank, and me, we have always been in a position where we usually had a job, but we're starting something that we thought was interesting to see if people also thought it was interesting. And you build into that thing. And then you put a business model around that thing. And when there's some money coming in, then you realize this might be a full-time job. You know, but you wait for the evidence that it works before you quit your job. Otherwise, we're left with a mental model that says you got to be a Harvard dropout and 19 years old with rich parents who can pay for you to go to Silicon Valley and figure it out. Well, that's not available for most of us. And so, so I really think that we've got to re-democratize entrepreneurship, make it more accessible for more people, and that there's a pathway to do that. But we've got to be explicit in how people with real lives, with mortgages, with financial constraints, with jobs, can still find their path into starting things. And I've seen this done you know, hundreds of times across the network of entrepreneurs that we support. And I want more people to see that pathway as well. That sounds good. And the book is coming out when? January 21. January 21. It's already on Amazon. I went and looked for the podcast when I was um, doing my research on you for the interview. Last question, where can people find you online, Todd? Yeah, so you know, LinkedIn's a great place. Just Todd Connor, C-O-N-N-O-R at LinkedIn, on LinkedIn, and uh, Twitter and some other places as well. But LinkedIn, we do live coaching shows uh, once a week around Third Shift Entrepreneur. We're just talking. It's conversations with people that are starting things while they have day jobs. And we're hearing their stories and we're helping them kind of find more success with that. And so, yeah, check us out on LinkedIn. And uh, if I can ever be of assistance to anybody, please uh, ping me there. And again, I'm here to serve. I want to see more people find fulfillment because my last comment, Frank, is it's not just about people starting businesses. It is about back to that base case condition of people deserve to feel like their best years are ahead of them, not behind them. And particularly for the military community, entrepreneurship has you believing it's, it resolves the emotional condition of unfulfillment and says, you know what, I can take action to pursue things that matter to me. And with that attitude, my best years are ahead of me. And that's, that's really what I'm after. I want more people feeling fulfilled, not just economically safe, but actually feeling fulfilled that they are pursuing things that matter to them. And to me, that's what entrepreneurship is all about. God, you got me all fired up. I'm ready to go. Todd, thank you for your service to your country. Thanks for coming on the show and for all that you are doing and have done 
for veteran entrepreneurs. Thanks, Frank. Thank you for listening to the Boots About Business podcast. Please know you can subscribe to this podcast wherever you catch your podcasts. And while you are there, won't you leave us a nice review? It'll help the show and in turn help other veterans. Finally, if you know someone that's a veteran in business or is an entrepreneur with a story to share, hit us up using the contact form on the show's website. That's bootsaboutbusiness.com. That's all one word, bootsaboutbusiness.com. Until next time, I am your host, Frank Strong, out here.